Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is England is Burning for Tuesday, October the 19th, 2021. This is your Chelsea Women Weekly feature for this week. We have back with us returning again, Rob Prattley from the CFCW Social to join us to talk about the events over the last week and talk about Chelsea women football in general. Rob, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Always have you, Always a pleasure. How have you been, sir? Yeah, I've not been too bad. It's been, you know, it's, it's been one of those weeks. No, we're now in the international break, which inevitably means there's a little bit of a void that club mm-hmm. football, you know, the lack of club football does, but... I'm looking forward to inevitably being disappointed by watching England again in the next few days, as is my you know, birthright to be perpetually disappointed on that national side. Yeah, I mean, uh, that would be the same over here, um, you know, um, you know, at times for the men, for the U.S. men, uh, if anyone cared. Um, but no one really seems to care uh, about the U.S. men's team here. Uh, women's team is like 400 times more popular than the men's team here, uh, probably due to the higher level, massive higher level of success. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I understand international disappointment. I mean, us even trying to get into on the men's side, uh, trying to get into a World Cup, uh, you know, and, you know, is is uh, is actually seems to be a feat which is scary. Uh, but we're not here to talk about uh, men's football at all. Uh, so Chelsea had, uh, on the day that we recorded, we recorded last week, Rob, we had, it was a day that uh, the Chelsea women were in Turin, Italy, preparing yeah. for, and we're going to play the match against uh, group stage, Champions League, against Juventus, which um, I didn't really know a whole lot about. Uh, obviously, they're a top side in Italy uh, and so forth, but uh, obviously qualifying with the Champions League from from their to their league. Uh, what were your what were you expecting, or what were your thoughts against uh, for the women going against uh, Juventus in this match um, last Wednesday? I. I thought it was a really great game from a neutral perspective. Um, I think, you know, there were elements of it from a Chelsea perspective that would have been um, a bit frustrating in a way. But I think in general, it was very sort of, you know, it was important to get the result. And ultimately, Chelsea did get the result. I think it'd be fair to say they ran out deserved winners um, in the end overall. And I think it was just a really good advert for the new format for the UWCL, which I know some people question, you know, would you get group stage games with the same intensity as the latter stage of the competition? I think so far, certainly all of them that I've watched, you had a resounding answer of yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, certainly the, the Chelsea Wolfsburg match was pretty, uh, was very entertaining uh, from a neutral standpoint perspective. Uh, probably a lot of nail biting from a Chelsea fan perspective. Um, but you know, but it was it was really very entertaining. It was a spectacle. It was a, it was a very good match uh, for the most part. And I mean, I would say the same thing uh, going into this one. Um, was this though, Rob? I mean, heard a lot of people say, was this a must win for Chelsea in the group stage, given the fact that they had drawn against Wolfsburg and and Juventus is coming in being the best team coming out of Italy um, and so forth? Was this a must win to get three points here? I think it certainly was a must-not-lose. Um, I think it's the, the nature of Chelsea's group, it's a very tough group. I think it probably is, on paper, the hardest one of them because there's three very good sides in Wolfsburg, uh, Chelsea and Juventus, and also that that aren't any, you know, shouldn't be taken for fools because they themselves are a good outfit and will cause problems um, if allowed. 
ultimately, that's why they've qualified for the tournament. And you can't take any gains for granted at this competition. I think certainly from a must-not-lose perspective, because I think if Chelsea had lost it or had dropped points, it would have been quite damaging. But obviously now they go into the double header against Savet. They have a chance to potentially put six points on the ball, bring them up to 10 in the group. And there's, you know, I think Wolfsburg and Juventus, between them, obviously we know at least one of them will drop points um, mm-hmm. in the next couple of games. So I think it's, I think I'm right in saying that if um, Juventus did lose both games, then Chelsea would, I believe, qualify, uh, would be guaranteed qualification. In the same way, I think if Wolfsburg lose both games and Chelsea win both their game against Savet, I think Chelsea will qualify. Um, so I think it puts them into a really nice position going forward and it gives them a good chance to, you know, consolidate and really kick on. Yeah, and this is where the scheduling really helps out Chelsea, obviously, because, you know, you have Juventus having to play, you know, does still have to play Wolfsburg twice in a row. Um, and then Chelsea draws Servette in twice in a row and the way it's set up. So, um, so yeah, there, the opportunity was there, um, but it is a fairly tough division. Uh, I did not realize how, how good Juventus uh, actually is. Uh, I don't really follow Italian uh, football very closely um, for time's sake, but how good it, how good was Juventus going into this match? Yeah, I mean, they, they were on an incredibly long uh, domestic unbeaten run. I believe it was 30 games unbeaten in uh, women's Serie A. Um, obviously, of course, won the competition last year, have been a sort of rising phoenix, I suppose, in the um, in the game. They have had a presence and they've developed it over a number of years and they really recognise the importance of having a strong women's side. So I think it was definitely, you know, a potential banana skin in that regard, especially for Chelsea going away to a tough atmosphere, a really good atmosphere, um, lots of noise in the stadium in Turin, which was really good to see. And I think it was, you know, I think Chelsea in general navigated it quite well. And Emma Hayes was facing a, you know, a very familiar foe on the other side of the touchline with Joe Matamero, who recently took over this season on the Juventus women's side, uh, obviously being her being familiar with him uh, for coaching Arsenal the last several years in the WSL. So a familiar face there. But from however, looking at past history, Emma has been fairly successful against uh, Matamero in the past, in the in the past, at least on the WSL side. Uh, yeah, uh, there was like a, a ten, if I'm right, there was an attendance of about 15,000 at the Allianz Stadium. Um, and the tickets were handed out for free from what I understand, which is not a bad thing um, and so forth. But it did create a really po- a good atmosphere, um, a good home atmosphere uh, for Juventus going into it. So uh, I think it was a positive and, and um, you know, it also gives some ex- definite exposure uh, for the women's side for you uh, for for Juventus. So Emma Hayes starts out again with a 3-4-3 formation, which is what she's been going with um, and so forth. So in, I wanted to speak specifically kind of in the back five, basically of, you know, Erickson, Carter and Bright on Cutbergs on the right wing and Wrighton on the left wing. What did you think going into this match, continuing with 3-4-3 with the specifically though with the lineup in the back of Erickson Carter in the in the center and bright on the right I was a little surprised um that Chelsea stuck with the 343 in this game because I think this would have been I think in European games against the likes of Juventus especially away they can play a sort of more expansive a 433 I think maybe when you go away to Wolfsburg you're possibly looking at using the 4-3-3 as well for the added solidity 
um, in the midfield. I will say I did feel incredibly sorry for Jessie Fleming um, for not starting after her player of the match performance in the previous game. And I was also surprised that Annette Norvin uh, didn't continue in the defence as well because I thought her passing through the lines was particularly effective and really good at breaking down the... Uh, important to break down the initial Leicester press. Um, yeah, and that was those were the two things that I was a little bit surprised with. I wasn't necessarily surprised that Jesse Fleming didn't start, but I know that there was some chatter before the match and some chatter after the match, and no one did not start. Um, and I think, would she have started in place of um, of Carter, or would she have started in place of somebody else? I mean, I, I think it would have been really interesting to see Chelsea go 4-3-3. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you could have started with the... I think you probably would have maybe then, in that case, looked probably to take right and sort of out, put Carter in left back. I think you can get away with Cuthbert as the, you know, at right back. I think she puts the energy and the work rate in defensively that perhaps right and lacks. Um, overall, how would you... Um, how would you have rated Jess Carter's play overall? I mean, there are times where I think she did fairly okay, but there were times where she struggled against Bonsanea and, and Harting, uh, you know, the front part of the front three of Juventus at several times. Yeah, I think she, I think it was a mixed bag. I think, you know, the bit she did really well, she did very, very well and very accomplished, but there were some, you know, considerable mistakes and some, consistent mistakes that are the sort of things you don't want to see at that level because against better opposition and I don't mean that in a slight to Juventus but in terms of you know the really really unbelievably clinical top sides we're talking Bayerns, Barcelona's, Paris Saint-Germain, Lyon they would have resulted in goals and I think you know this was the the lack of perhaps Juventus's experience and maybe nous at this level that they weren't able to capitalize on those sort of mistakes um I will say I thought the referee in general was poor. Um, again, I thought they were particularly fussy. At one point, you know, there was some farcical situations where Chelsea players were being utterly poleaxed and it wasn't resulting in free kicks. And Juventus players were just being brushed and were going down. Um, I think, you know, I'm used to the English WSL referees that perhaps take a bit more contact than some of the continental referees um, and consider it more of a contact sport. But I do think that it was... Yeah, I do think at the times it was, you know, borderline embarrassing some of the refereeing, um, especially some of them where players clearly knew they got to a point where they knew that if they went down under the slightest touch, they could get the free kick for it. And I don't think that's really in the spirit of the game. Um, in all honesty, I think, you know, they they have a duty to just stay on their feet unless they're absolutely poleaxed, um, if I'm sort of being blunt about it. But in general, I think Chelsea needed to go out and do the job in a way and they did exactly that obviously we had the world-class sort of goal from Aaron Cuthbert taking down Penelope Harder's pass um sort of cutting inside past I think four players and then you know putting it into the bottom corner really really good finish really good move and at that point it looked like Chelsea were really going to kick on and they had a couple of minutes where I think if they'd have got that second goal they might have gone on and won it quite comfortably but the thing is, Juventus always offered that threat on the counter-attack and what frustrated me is that we'd seen that cross several times that mm-hmm. they scored from. And I I think it was poor for Magda Eriksson, um, in all honesty. I think she, you know, should have been directing Gura right and to be further back and to be closer sort of to everyone. I, I'm... 
if you're talking about the, are you talking about the cross that led that led to the goal? To Juventus' yeah. goal later. Yeah, I thought that was a really good. I mean, I thought that was a really good cross by um, by Juventus there. Um, you know, I'm not. I, from my perspective, and maybe I didn't see it the way. Um, obviously, didn't see it the way you did, but I, I, I really didn't seem. I mean, it was a really well done. You know, cross in there, and uh, it had to be laid into the perfect spot. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the things that Juventus had been trying to do over and over again was crosses. Yeah. They start. They started with that in the first thirty seconds. Um, you know, with a cross and in deep into the box, and this was the same. But I wasn't sure what else the the defender was doing or could do in that situation. Maybe it's me being harsh, but I kind of feel that the two issues are A, the cross shouldn't ever come in. And B Okay, I got you. I got you. But B also I think, you know, you have to if there have been a purely defensive fullback playing, like mm-hmm. I think if Yama Anderson's playing purely defensive fullback, I think she would have anticipated it because it's the way the cross dropped in between Magda and Gura right. Yeah. Right. Noisy, because there's that corridor of space and that shouldn't be there. And I also think if they were playing a back four, that space wouldn't have been there, because I think it would have allowed it would have allowed them to be more compact and sit in. And I think with the three, naturally, because of the way Chelsea play with wingbacks that are quite offensive, especially Gura Wrighton, who would rather be in, you know going forward, she doesn't cover that space. Whereas Jono, who's a bit more conservative, does cover that space. Um, take nothing away from the finish was an excellent finish control on the volley. Uh, did have a little bit of a debate with some people as to whether Berger should have done better, um, concluded it was possibly a little bit harsh. It was quite close range. It was well struck. Maybe could have got down a bit quicker, but I think it was, you know, quite difficult in all honesty. Um, but I will say that I I think Chelsea responded quite well to that. They did regroup. They had a chance for time. And then in the second half, I think they really, you know, they showed the impetus to really kick on. Um, and they did have, you know, they did start to really dominate possession. I think the move to the back four was key um, mm-hmm. when they did make the substitute and they brought off uh, Jess Carter. Um, was it Carter initially came off or was it Aaron Cuthbert? No, sorry, Aaron Cuthbert came off and I think they brought Jesse Fleming on into the midfield and I thought Fleming added a lot of balance and quality into the midfield. Um, I thought she came on and really added energy as well. And obviously... We've said it time and time again, and we'll keep saying it. You know, when you've got the unbelievable, really, really good um, sort of front three that Chelsea can boast, then you're always going to score goals. And I think the second goal was an example of that, is that, you know, you can stop Kerr, you can stop Kirby, but you won't stop Miller harder. Or you can stop Harder, you can stop Kerr, but you'll leave Frank Kirby a bit of space. Or you might be able to stop Fran Kirby and Miller harder, but you'll then give Sam Kerr a bit of space and that was what you know the problem where the problem really fell yeah and and yeah and that's one of the biggest takeaways that i had um was the, the biggest takeaway i had was was the pure fact that what happened particularly uh you know watching pernell harder throughout the you know throughout the match where um you know she would drop into space where you know, the other, the Juventus defenders were either ball watching uh, or trying to mark the other two that you were mentioning, either Kirby or Kerr, wherever they were. Um, and there were multiple times where, uh, you know, that I saw, you know, harder get 
you know, pull herself into into a good space in the box or near the box somewhere uh, where she was open. There was that one kind of half volley shot that she had where she was, you know, just kind of went a little bit deep, went to the spot. And then she was sort of a half volley that that missed the net. And I was like, they're going to keep doing that and it's going to work at some point Um, because all I could see was it from time to time is the Ventus defender is just kind of ball watching, but not watching where the other, the other, you know, offensive players were. And I was like, okay, so if it's not going to be Kirby today is going to be Kerr. If it's not Kerr, it's going to be harder. And I mean, it's just like, there's just too many people to watch uh, too many dangerous. And then, you know, you thinking back to the very first goal where it was just like, well, you know, Cuthbert just takes it upon herself to just, you know, get the pass from harder and go right into the box and, you know, be in position to score. There's just so many, you know, it, that's what makes Chelsea such a joy to watch because it's not reliant on like one superstar player to, that, you know, need them to shine in order for, for it to play. It's so, it's becoming mm-hmm. so rhythmic and so fluid in the front three and harder becoming more and more used to the system, more involved in the system, um, being more comfortable, which, you know, which I would, which I would hope for after being there for a year. And I don't mean that in a negative way towards her in her first season, but let's be fair, you know, new players coming into a whole new system. It does take some time to get into it and, and, you know, to gel with teammates and to gel with the, the tactics and everything else. And, and, um, you know, last year, I think it was a lot of the, the Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr show. Now it's a triad, you know, um, and we're just going to see, I think more of that. And, you know, I always felt like from the end of last season, moving forward, that Pernell Harder was going to be a rather key person uh, mm-hmm. moving forward, because then if she got going, knowing how great she is, um, if she got going with the other two staying on form, barring anything unfortunate, um, then it's like, I mean, I'm saying this and I'm trying to say this in a nice way. It's like it's a three headed monster situation. You just don't know you if you mark one you run the risk of losing the other two or, you know, and that's what happened. And it just happened time and time again. And harder was the one that was left open several times um, um, because they were watching the ball or watching the other two. Um, And it was just really fun to watch because I was like, okay, what's going to happen now? Um, And the next game, it'll be Fran Kirby gets Mm. gets a brace because they're looking after trying to look at what harder is doing and what Kerr is doing. And then, I mean, it's just so many weapons and then you have, you can't, forget the midfield of, you know, uh, and so forth. But I wanted to mention, I mean, it just popped into my head. Why did uh, Sophie Ingle not start? I was, kind of, I was kind of expecting her to start, but I wasn't sure from why. From what did. I understand, it was a case that she'd taken a knock and it was a case oh, of managing okay. her through the fitness. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that's what made it just so fun. The other takeaway was, was kind of going back to your point earlier about the, the that cross in that led to the Juventus goal. Um, and I think you make an excellent point um, because that explains why I don't like a 3-4-3. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't like 3-4-3 because of those corridors that kind of take shape when, um, you know, I mean, you have teams that do have a strong back three system in place, 
this is a new system. So yeah. you're going to have situations where there's going to be spaces that really maybe shouldn't be there or would not be there if this thing had gone on, goes on for a while and people get more settled into the system. Um, and so, yeah, that was the corridor. And, you know, and you're, I, I do agree that cross probably should have never taken place to begin with. Um, it was a dangerous cross shouldn't have happened, but it got fit right into the corridor and I totally agree. If there was a back four there, I don't think that corridor would have existed. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I've always said one of the ways I always love to view the uh, the three four three is that when you are attacking, it's a three four three stroke. If you're really really good at uh, using it, it's a three two five mm-hmm. because yep. you have yep. the players pushing on to use the width, and you push the uh, inside the packers in to sort of be in around the box and you literally just ch- do choke the life out, life out of the opposition and you trust that your two holding midfielders or your sitting players are able to, you know, make the tackles and to make the um, sort of, you know, to disrupt the game enough in that regard. When you're defending, it should always be a proper 5 sort of 2-3 uh, or even... Five, three, two. Because one of your attackers should be dropping into that space in the midfield to disrupt there and help you shuttle out. And all f- both of the wing backs should be shuttling in and tucking in. Mm-hmm. And effectively, you should have the three centre backs marshalling the area and the wing backs mm-hmm. marshalling the wings. And the problem is when you have players that you're converting into three, four, three. Right. Um, which I think it'd be fair to say that Aaron Cuthbert, I think, is versatile enough to play anywhere. I think she's fine. Gura Wrighton, on the other hand, is not. She is a different sort of style of player. She's a brilliant player, but she is someone who very much would rather be on the front foot and be on the offensive. And I think she can work in the 3 4 3 against the right teams, but against, against better opposition, you're always going to see her fouled out. And that's why I wasn't surprised that when time came and Chelsea had gone to the, you know, back to the 4 3 3, and you have the situation with Wrighton at left back, that Juventus continuously targeted Wrighton. And eventually it led to her coming off. And that isn't any slight on her performance because I don't think, you know, you can expect a winger to successfully defend one-on-one. But I think until it's resolved, it's something that you need to sort of bear in mind. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, I think those are great shouts. I think Wrighton is not, um, I agree with you, Wrighton is not, not, doesn't seem to be naturally a winger. Uh, it's a hard role. It's a energy draining role if you do it if you do it the way it, I guess it's designed, uh, because then you are literally on the wing going up and down, uh, depending on whether or not you're on offense or on defense. Um, and but it because of that type of you know having to be that versatile, um, some players you know no matter how good they are are not necessarily up for being that um, you know that specialized in you know changing those gears quite literally and figuratively um and so forth so um and that's kind of what we've seen and so far i think that there i think that the issue with writing i think the corridor that was created to create the first goal probably was the impetus for emma hayes to just change back to a four back four mm-hmm. um and it really did, it did basically change the game it changed the energy and then of course as you said earlier, Jesse Fleming coming on board also, you know, changed the energy as well because she always seems to kind of do that when she comes on, uh, sort mm-hmm. of changes the energy on the field. 
And I think I think also it's worth noting the players themselves, I think, look more comfortable in the 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a natural comfort and understanding. And I think that this is the interesting part. I suggested, and I said this a while, that I think Chelsea moved to the 3-4-3 to benefit Panilla Harder more. Now, mm-hmm. if they can get Panilla Harder playing the same way in a 4-3-3, which I think is possible, as she mm-hmm. does in the 3-4-3, then mm-hmm. I think then Chelsea, that's when they will switch back fully to the 4-3-3 because I think they will have that solidity. And I think perhaps in the opening few weeks, they've sacrificed a bit of that solidity in order to push, um, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, really push Panilla harder and then try and get the most out of Panilla harder and Jesse Fleming. And I think now that you can start seeing them adapting more, this is when you can make the changes. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe they'll they'll switch up depending on the opponent? Because when you mentioned earlier where, you know, if you're, facing a side that you know has you know is, is a stronger offensive side um you know like a Wolfsburg or you know some or something a team like that or Bayern or or you know not that versus you know a Leicester City or a Birmingham uh two totally different class types of opponents do you think you, could you see it switching depending on the opponent I think so I think it's probably that is the sort of um, mentality that the best teams need to be able to take and have that fluidity and that ability to change. And I think that's perhaps something, you know, previously Chelsea have relied so much on the 4-3-3 and so when that breaks down, you look for it. I think naturally you try and change things and you look for new systems and you make changes, but ultimately I think, you know, you revert back to something that's more of a better hybrid in the end and a better way of doing it. Yeah, I think... I think the struggle right now is is that is that Emma Hayes is having to sort out is is like, you know, do I keep pushing this three four three until my team gets more comfortable with it, and what is being sacrificed in the meantime, or what could end up being sacrificed in the meantime, versus going back to a system that this the team is more comfortable with because they've been playing in it for a while. Mm. And I think from my perspective, it's probably that. I think you sort of have to have to balance it somewhat and make somewhat of a balance with it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, balance is, I think, key to almost everything, really, um, and so forth, because you want to get the best out of the players that you have on the pitch at that time. Um, and I can definitely see, I mean, we talked about in a previous episode where how the 3-4-3 have worked working effectively would be potentially create a more fluid offensive system. And as you just said, just now it could choke out the, the, the opponents, but against a really strong offensive side, um, it, that, that style could struggle if you don't have, depending on who your back three is going to be and how versatile your, both of your wings are going to be um, so forth. But um, it's always, a, it, it's a fascinating challenge. And, and um I'm I'm not a big fan of three four three, so I would be like switching to four three three no matter what. But um, but I can see I've seen other managers use a back three very well, and I'm like I just don't see it. Um, but it also really depends on who you got in the back three and those wings um, and so forth. I wanted to mention Marin Mielda. Um, she, if y'all remember out there, she uh, unfortunately had that injury in the Conti Cup final um, back last season. Is she, where is she as far what's her timeline for returning and is that does that affect potentially her return affect does that affect um formations and lineups coming up 
From what I understand, she's yeah, cl- she's close to a return. Um, she's getting you know nearer and nearer. And I think, to be honest, if she does return, that's when you maybe look at going back to the four three three because I think you've then got two sort of three very experienced defenders, and you can maybe get away with having someone who's a little bit inexperienced. But at the same time, I also think she could play in the three four three and be an option, as you know, as one of the outside centre backs because I think. That's where perhaps Chelsea also do lack a little bit is having that outside centre back that can get forward and sort of move forward into the space and put um, you know be the uh, sort of overlapping centre back in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you know I'm really looking forward to her return and so forth. And you mentioned Rob, you mentioned to me something off air in regards to uh, uh, you know uh, an article or something like that that came out and and, fe- and uh, featured some of the the uh, Chelsea women players. You, what, what what was your what are your thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's. But I think yeah, I. I'm trying not to swear here. I think it's incredibly poor and incredibly bad that, you know, um, it happens. Sadly, I'm not surprised it's happened a lot of times before. So I think, you know, it's worth noting that this is not really a sort of, you know, new thing in that way. It's not really a new phenomenon. It's just embarrassing and sort of, you know, incredibly disrespectful. And it's the sort of thing you wouldn't see. Again, I like using the phrase you wouldn't see it in the men's game, but you just wouldn't at all. And that's, I think, the big thing that people need to, you know, just take from this is that you need to make the um, changes and you need to make the uh, sort of, you know, you need to consider that in that regard. You need to just be thinking how you can do better. And you're referring to um, because I'm looking at a looking at a tweet that you referred me to from uh, earlier today and directed towards the BBC Match of the Day and BBC Sports. So for our listeners and view and watchers of this video, what speci- who may not have access to that, uh, what specifically are you referring to? So the BBC's Match of the Day uh, magazine have done a special feature this month on the 50 best players in WSL. Um, and for number six, who's Mary Mielder, which is again a great you know honor and accolade for her to be there, they've used a picture of Magda Eriksson instead. Um, and I think it's probably because in the copy they used the phrase Norway captain, and they've just seen a picture of Chelsea captain and conflated the two of them, which is incredibly poor and incredibly bad. I oh my god, yeah. Uh, so, um so either no one was editing this or whoever was editing this uh, uh, was smoking something and just got confused or didn't know what they were talking about. I don't know which. So. I mean, I, I, I'd like to feel that you know, if it's an editorial mistake, then it's just mm-hmm. incredibly sloppy and the editor you know, needs to be mm-hmm. thinking, are yep. they doing their job properly? Right. If it's a genuine mistake, then it's a case that Mistakes do happen, but you need someone in place who, you know, there should be checks in place to prevent this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the third answer is that people involved just don't really care about women's football, don't really know what's going on and didn't bother making the checks and the changes. Yeah. Um, Certainly that appears to be the case. And then as you as you also mentioned that this is not the first time that this has happened. And sadly, I'm afraid it may not be the last time, but it's really inexcusable. I mean, from an editing standpoint and so forth. I mean, even even if you 
don't know a whole lot about women's football, period, you should, as an editor, and you are one, Rob, um, mm-hmm. that's your title, you're the senior editor of CFCW Social, um, that you should, one of the biggest rules of thumb that I know is you check your facts. You make sure you get your facts straight about what you're featuring and who's on that picture and who's it attributed to and, and all those types of editing things. I'm not an editor, but I know enough to say, well, let me make sure I'm putting out a picture of the right person, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, and have my facts straight, even if I don't know a lot. And I mean, your job is to make sure you got the facts straight. And when you're an editor, you make sure the stuff is correct uh, and so forth. So, you know, somebody needs to come out and someone look in the mirror and be like, hey, I made a, you know, this is a bad, bad, bad error here and apologize for it and make amends, you know, with this. So, you know, that that's the, you know, long story short on that. But it's, you know, it's just really unfortunate because you're right. You know, going, you know, we've had, you know, TV commentators, you know. Uh, you know, miss, you know, switch people's names around and butcher their names completely. And, you know, I mean, all sorts of things from a TV commentator end and, you know, and you have something like this. So it's, you know, it's like, you know, it's got to get better. It's got to get better because more yeah, eyes are on this stuff now. I mean, exactly that. TV at the same time, I'd like to point out, you know, what a great job days are doing of covering the UWCL and, you know, getting Definitely. real hard, difficult things right such as recognizing players and knowing who the managers are and knowing which teams they've previously managed and knowing how to pronounce names correctly um you know all of these absolute rocket scientists are very hard things to do and right. my heart bleeds for people that can't you know honestly understand the importance and nuance of doing this but it's just a thing of you know common courtesy right right and i'll admit i you know i'll be transparent myself y'all and be like there are some names that i don't pronounce for yeah I, will, I, I, mean, I, will. I, I mean i mean but i'm not on tv commentating a game no, more what I, I suppose more the one for me is when it's names where you clearly hear the person get them wrong and right. then you go and talk to the player and the player themselves tells you look actually it's pronounced xyz and then right. people just continue to pronounce it different ways um right. and continue to be you know complain about that right yeah, I mean, the biggest one for me was that one time where I was watching Chelsea, and I don't know, I think it was the match against Arsenal at the start of the season, and the commentator uh, on the feed that I was watching kept saying, Hardair. Yeah, <laughs> like, what? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Like, and, you know, it's coverage like that that annoys, that annoys me. Because like, it's a situation hell? like that where, you know, it's completely obviously avoidable and right. completely obviously, you know, can be changed. Yes. Yeah. It's just yeah, just poor work. You know, um, you know, and that I mean, I remember it kind of left me checking myself, like, wait, am I getting it wrong? I mean, you know, I don't think so. I kept, you know, I've heard it I think correctly multiple times. Um, you know, this clearly seems wrong, um, and so forth. So I'm not I mean, I'll admit I'm not the best at pronouncing names. Um, and I've been humbled by it at, on several occasions. Um, yeah, no, I'm, this, I'm not going but, to pretend that I, that I pronounce every name perfectly. And, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit and throw, you know, the, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I'm a massive believer in that. And I ultimately acknowledge that common mistakes can be made. But right. it's more, the, the ones that really get me is when it's things that, you know, you get wrong. For example, you call a player the wrong name once, that's fine. That, you know, doesn't right. keep them. It's then when right. it persistently keeps happening, and I can't remember which game, I think it was the Chelsea Birmingham City game that I watched on the FA player, where the commentator didn't have a clue. 
Honestly, you could have, they could have just had any 22 names on the pitch and they were just picking a random name out of the hat, in all honesty, as to who it was. And it's just doing better and being better in that regard is what annoys me, the lack of, you know, that. Yeah, I mean, in the most recent example, I'm, you know, talk about this uh, match of the day uh, piece, um, you know, clearly, you know, having the wrong person pictured under that caption. I mean, that's an avoidable mistake, right? I mean, and because there's like, I mean, what we're mentioning, I guess, really is like there are errors that happen, but then there, but when you have errors that are completely avoidable, like completely avoidable, if you're doing your job correctly and you give a rip about what you're doing, that's probably, that's the one that's most, you know, the most damning to me is when it's clearly avoidable and you make the same mistake again and again, or you make, you know, or you clearly have an unforced error. And this piece is a totally an unforced error. It's not like you're in a live TV broadcast, right? Um, no, someone had to look at this, and I'm looking at it on my phone right now. Someone had to look at this and say, "Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's right," and then say, "It's good. Let's let's put it out there." I mean, that's that's an avoidable error. Yeah, and so. that's that's exactly it. Is that if it, you know if there is the quality control in place, which there should be for something like this then it shouldn't happen in the first place. Right. And exactly. if the quality control is not in place, then that's when there's a problem. So we are now into moving on and moving ahead to the future. Um, so what's next for Chelsea? We're in an international break from, from the league. The league doesn't start back up until November. Um, you know, I think Chelsea's next match is when? It's it's uh, on next Saturday, I believe, the 30th, or it may be on the um, 31st, and it's the cup game against Manchester City. So it should be a nice, easy, you know, progression to the final, um, knowing, you know, what a awful situation Manchester City find themselves in. In reality, it won't be. Um, you know, I think Manchester City are a dangerous side. They're a wounded animal um, at this moment in time, and they'll see a result in a game like that as a big chance to, you know, get themselves back on track. Um it's possible they might have a new manager in place by then. Obviously, we've seen the axe fall on Willie Kirk um, over this international break, and the international break is always somewhere when people want to make the, um, you know, like making managerial changes. It's an easy time to do it because usually you come back after it and you have that, you know, trademark new manager bounce. But I think, in all honesty, Chelsea need to be thinking that. They could win that, and then you know you'd expect Arsenal probably be beating Brighton, and then they've got a big FA Cup sort of game coming up as a chance to win last year's FA Cup, and you know turn last year's double slash treble, depending if you count the Community Shield into a quadruple. Yeah, and given you know, um, yeah, given the fact that we that it is a break, and barring any problems that happen during the international break for Manchester City. You know they could be in a in a better in better shape potentially, and I and that's knocking on whatever wood there is. Um, they could be in better shape with their injury situation and so forth. I don't think they're going to sack Gareth Taylor. I, I don't. I don't think they're going to get rid of him uh, unless things get incredibly worse later. Uh, now would be a really good time to do it if you're going to do it, um, but I don't think they're going to. Um, that's just my gut feeling on that. Um, you know, but. 
yeah, I don't think they're going to do it this, you know, but they'll do it maybe at the end of the season and they'll kind of quietly leave uh, or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this Manchester, Manchester city should scare people a little bit because it's like, they could just pop right back up. But on the flip side, you know, Chelsea, when they're on their game, they beat every, they can beat any, everybody. Um, there's probably only one team in the entire world that they would probably struggle to beat. We know who that is. Um, but as far as this competition is concerned, the FA Cup competition is concerned, um, there's not a side that they should not be able to beat. It may be a really t- difficult match. It could be tough, but, you yeah. know, uh, you know, the, 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 the quality of their side right now, I still think, I mean, I think Chelsea's quality of side and how deep they are versus where Manchester city's at in terms of their depth is concerned, um, mm-hmm. you know, is, is at two different levels right now that could change um, in two weeks. Um, but right now that's, that's the case, but I don't think it'll be easy. I don't think, I think, I don't think Manchester city wants to, cause it's only one of uh, the only competition they really that and the Conti Cup are the only competitions they have left that they're really in right now. So, and it's the one they're trying to defend. So, I don't think they're going to make it easy. Yeah, no, exactly that. And I think you know this is their best chance of winning a a trophy this season. I think they could still win the Conti Cup, although you know that gets increasingly difficult later on. There's still next year's FA Cup, but I think yeah. this is the one where they'll think if they win this, it can sort of you know help them kick on and have a better second half of the season because at the moment they're not you know even guaranteed to qualify for Europe next year and that could be hugely you know problematic and difficult for them if they missed out on that yeah and that's where I see Garrett Taylor going is if they don't make if they don't make Europe um and it's looking really tight right now um but I don't expect um the thing of it is though I don't really expect Manchester United or Tottenham to really stay in the form that they're in uh at this point um so I still think Brighton then could be. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, the thing of it is though, it's really exciting because, um, you know, you have a potential really incredible title race potentially between Chelsea and Arsenal, uh, mm-hmm. if things keep going to form as they are right now, and then you've got a, a real race for, you know, the top, the top three or, uh, top three or four or spots three, four and five, uh, which is, could be anybody's game except for Lester. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. so. But yeah. I, I was on a podcast with Leicester fans last week, and I still said I made the bold claim. I think they will end up staying up. I think probably Birmingham will end up going down um, beneath them. But that's you know another debate for another time. I think. Yeah, I think so, um, and so forth. And um, yeah, um, I certainly do want to talk to someone from Leicester, you know, and have them on, um, as well as someone from Everton to get their reaction to things going on there. But um, so, but Rob, thank you so much. We're gonna, we'll look forward to the break. We'll look forward to you know the uh, that semifinal co- coming up. It'll be a good one, um, and uh, I hope everything keeps going the way it goes. Yeah, well, and always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me as usual. All right, Rob, thank you so much again. And thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Please smash a like on the video. Please subscribe and please share with your friends on your social media or just on WhatsApp or whatever, you know, device or app you're using to share information on. Uh, There's plenty of them out there. If you do not want to see my pretty face, which I'm sure most of you do not, um, you know, you're going to always listen to listen to us on the podcast or on every single podcast uh, application available, you know. And so forth. Later on um, tomorrow, we will have Josh back. Um, we took a little bit of a hiatus with Arsenal, but we'll have Josh back. Um, you know, later on this week to talk about Arsenal. 
um, and how they're doing. Um, and then we'll have Kate on on Wednesday uh, to talk about Manchester City and see what her thoughts are uh, going into the break. And we already know what she thinks about Gareth Taylor staying or going. Um, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Uh, this England is burning is out for today. Take care, everybody. <laughs>